the Human Torch was denied a bank loan. I'm clear. <clears throat> okay, I'm clear. You guys ready? I'm ready. Hi, and welcome to the Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast. We're back with part three in our three-part series with Everyman Espresso Samuel Luantin, who's going to be competing in the United States Barista Championships here in the near future. He did very well, placing second at the United States Coffee Championship Qualifier recently, and we were just happy to have him on the show. If you haven't tuned in, check back on all of our episodes, and if you need to email us anything fun and exciting, hit us, info at catandcloud.com. That's I-N-F-O, and at catandcloud.com c-a-t-a-n-d-c-l-o-u-d dot com alright guys let's get into this thing we're going to take it out where we left it off do you know what that means? because I do too alright catch on a flip flop <laughs> it's the best when it works yeah. what would you? What kind of advice would you give to somebody who maybe doesn't you know you have that you have the ability and the years of experience to say, you know, this is harder water. I think I just want a little more out of my coffee. I'm going to tighten it up, extend that, you know, tighten up the grind, do my thing. But it's like there's a lot of young kids out there who get up there and something happens and they want to just throw in the towel because it's an understandable feeling. You know, you like hit that yeah, stress. Sure. You're like, I'm screwed. It's over. You know, what kind of advice would you give them to like encourage them through that, you know? There will always be a point either in training or in competition, and usually both, at which you feel that way, at which you're like, I don't have any idea what I'm doing. This, didn't, this thing that I did didn't work. Like, I have already failed. Like, it's really, this is a disaster. Oh, no. And at that point, as difficult as this can be, it's super important to remember that you have done the work, that the work's there, uh, and that if you just step back and get out of your own head for a second and allow the work to be there, allow yourself to have done it um, because you did it. And if you just relax and let that, let all of the work that you've done come to you um, and not sound too like new agey about it, but to let it speak through you, then uh, things will go infinitely better. Um, I've definitely way too many times uh, just gotten so wrapped up in my own head and freaked out and had a really bad day up there. Uh, and uh, the most important lesson from that was just to sort of step back and say, no, I've done this. Like, I know that this coffee can taste good. I know the circumstances under which this coffee is going to taste good. And if it's not there now, I've worked with this coffee enough that I do know what needs to happen. I just have to shut up enough to listen to all of the work that I've done with this coffee and let it tell me what needs to happen. That is such sound advice because... It is so true, dude. <laughs> it's so easy to get up there. I feel like the people with the analytical minds do it too. And they start, they start instead of looking at the big picture, they start just like deciphering every single thing that's going wrong on the right. moment and being like, well, it's because of this and this. I do it and have done it for sure. sure. Absolutely. But the times that I've done the best are easily the times where I'm like, I can't control every single variable perfectly. I need to just do my best right. and, and remember what we've been doing and know that that's really good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Trust that the work will be there. Nice. Can I uh, let me ask you a funny, weird question? Because yeah. I actually just want to know. You've met both Chris and I in person. Do you, yeah. what, what were those? When was the first time? Like, what was the memory of meeting Chris and I? Because I have my memory of, of talking to you for the first time, and I just want to oh, know man. if they line uh, up. Let's see. Uh, backstage at USBC 2012 in Portland. 
and I will remember this forever and ever because this is one of those times when I was freaking out. Um, we had uh, screwed up something in shipping and we were short a hopper for a grinder um, and I was casting around and I uh, remembered, Jared, you let me use uh, your hopper in competition. <laughs> that was like so infinitely thankful. <laughs> Such <laughs> Just a trip. So That's awesome. Um, uh, and I ended up like, again, I was so wrapped up in my own head in that moment that I didn't do even remotely the best possible version of that routine. And honestly, even if I had that routine was not all that great. Um, there were a lot of problems with it. You know, sort of looking back and going like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that or that or that other thing. Like, what was I thinking? Um, but just in that moment to like have you step up and be like, yeah, dude, totally. Like, here you go. I'm not using it right now. Like, by all means, be my guest was so, it was so crucial. It was so clutch. What a trip, man. That's really cool to hear because I don't remember that. I remember <laughs> having to serve you i don't remember that at all but Amazing. i also was competing that year and probably in my head oh yeah totally i, I, I doubt it at all i remember the first like and i'm sure i had interactions with you but the most memorable one is probably because i was nervous you came to get coffee from me on a bga bar <laughs> and and i was like and i was working on it and you ordered a macchiato or you actually might have ordered a one and one and i don't remember what coffee i was serving but i was like okay i'm gonna pour some really good latte art you know you're just trying to be cool in front of people you never serve coffee to <laughs> and you were watching there's a big group of people actually and you just i remember you commented you're all oh you're the real deal you can do rosettas and macchiatos i believe in you or something ridiculous <laughs> like that <laughs> I just, see. I, I remember that, and I just remember being stoked. I was like, "Oh shit, these dudes are making coffee right now!" Yes, that's awesome. Like, how often do you get to actually drink coffee that either of you guys prepare? Like, especially me, where like I'm over here in New York. Like, um, so I just remember being stoked that I got to drink coffee that you guys were making. Well, I remember like talking to you briefly, but that was like the first time that we like had shook hands and then I served you coffee and it was like, that's Sam, I'm Jared, we're talking. And it wasn't like in that setting. It was a different setting. So. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We weren't quite so like hyper focused on the one thing that was in front of us. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, what a trip. That's, that's amazing. Jared was talking about the macchiato before we started the podcast. <laughs> He's all Sam one time. He told me that I know I got it down. I can make those rosettas and macchiatos. I was like, prove it to the East Coast. <laughs> We're that's good on still, the West Coast too. That still trips me out. People who can pour rosettas and macchiatos still, I don't, I don't, I can't do that. Like, yes, I, you can, it's Sam. Not, not in my muscles. Like, I can't make it happen. I have tried. They all look janky as hell. <laughs> <laughs> we it's, got some secrets over here on the West Coast. <laughs> it's the water. It's the water. It's, it's, it's the, the water. Oh my gosh! So what's next for? Sam, what? Okay, what is your official title? You're you're the cafe manager. You do, the you do you're the general manager. So you do most of your work out of Soho. Yeah. But are you also in charge of the East Village store? Uh, I'm not operationally in charge of the East Village store. So like, I don't do the ordering or print the menus or any of that stuff. But I'm definitely involved in sort of bigger structural stuff and staff training and business development for the whole business and all of the sort of uh, really boring logistical and infrastructural stuff uh, for both shops. So are there things going on at Everyman? Are you guys going to have a third store? What does that look like for you? Or is there cool stuff on the horizon that's secret or not? We're 
thinking about it. Uh, obviously, I don't want to like you know announce that we're going to open a third store until like the inks dry on a lease. But we're definitely you know it's it's on the horizon. It's a thing that we're thinking about. Um, we're doing a lot of uh, events stuff. We sort of last year started a whole like catering and events end of the company that we're calling every man to go and uh that's its own thing and we're doing a whole lot of like popping up in a whole bunch of places and you know putting a gs3 down on a counter and making some tasty coffee for some people and that's been a lot of fun uh we're doing a bunch of sort of art shows in the next month or two and that's going to be really interesting um so that's been a lot of what we've been doing um and then as far as i'm concerned i mean most of my mental energy right now is consumed with trying to plan out all of the training and all of the coffee selection and all of the equipment stuff for USB-C and to figure out how that's going to work. Um, I, I'll figure out what the rest of my life looks like as soon as I get back from Atlanta. <laughs> we'll be there. We'll be rooting for you. Oh, thanks, guys. A- amongst many other friends, but we still will be rooting for you. Well, I'm, sto- <laughs> I'm stoked to see both of you. Um, this is actually something I've been wondering. Back in... I don't know, 2008 or 9, early on in the, in kind of like the New York, the come up scene, there was, uh, Cafe Grumpy Crew came over and at the time they, they used Verve before they opened and they would express to me that New York was kind of still trying to understand, like the general population was still trying to understand specialty coffee and, and that it was kind of a new thing. And I assume that, that that's changed a lot. Can you talk a little bit about the culture? Like, what yeah. is it still a place of like I just want a cup of coffee or is it you know nice that accent was, that was almost that was, that, almost <laughs> that accent. I tried to stop myself <laughs> I just want a cup of coffee give me a cup of coffee it's a cup of coffee it's a cup of coffee it, uh, it's changing what's it like uh, it's definitely continuing to evolve I think that awareness of specialty coffee is actually very high in New York right now I think there are a lot of people who have that sort of basic understanding that you know, there is better coffee out there and that that's a thing that they should be seeking out. Um, definitely there are a lot of shops doing solid work in town. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a huge population. So there's room for many, many, many different shops. Uh, I definitely think that we're only just starting to see what's possible in New York in terms of what people can do with specialty coffee. I think that, you know, we have a lot of great coffee shops and all of them so far are sort of based on existing models. Um, and that's really cool. And, uh, there are a lot of people doing really great jobs inside those frameworks. But I think that a lot of what excites me about New York is the possibility of doing something that hasn't been seen before. And the fact that the market is, good enough that the people who are drinking coffee in New York are well enough educated and care enough about drinking good things and care enough about good service experiences and good hospitality experiences that they're willing to sign on for something that's a little bit different, that they're willing to look at something and go, well, you know, I've never done this before and I don't really know what's going on here, but I'm willing to give it a shot. And if it's good, I'll totally come back and I'll totally tell everybody about it. Well, that's cool. Yeah, what neighborhoods do you see that happening in, or is it does it is it a neighborhood independent? It's just something that the city as an entity will support. You think it's pretty broadly distributed. Uh, definitely, there are many many different neighborhoods in Manhattan, all of which support thriving uh, 
cafe scenes. I mean, it definitely, there was a minute there where sort of the East Village and the Lower East Side were where all the good ca- cafes were. And now you have good coffee in Midtown, you have good coffee in uh, Chelsea, you have good coffee in the East Village and the West Village and Soho and, you know, way up in Harlem and you have good coffee in, you know, Williamsburg, Greenpoint, Bushwick, uh, you know, uh, Park Slope, all over. Um, to be hard pressed to find, uh, well, let me back that up. I was going to say you'd be hard pressed to find a neighborhood where there isn't good coffee, but New York is huge and there are many neighborhoods and some of them still don't have great coffee. Um, uh, so there's still lots of room for, uh, niches to be filled. Do you think that... Have you talked to anybody who's really looking into doing that bleeding edge, like crazy wild culinary experience, like the groundbreaking stuff? Is it something that's in the back of your mind? Like, oh, I'm going to do this in a couple of years, just something totally off the cuff and insane. It's definitely always in the back of my head. There's always a little voice that's like, well, what if you did this? What if you made this happen? Um, I've seen a couple of like stabs at it. Um, some of which have worked very, very well and some of which have worked less well. Uh, but it's definitely been interesting to see what people think of the next thing in coffee being. That's the other thing is that there isn't any one sort of idea of what's next in coffee in New York. There's all of these people, all of whom are like, this is what coffee should be. And they're all just chasing it at top speed, like running after it. Um, and that's really fun and interesting to watch. So, Recently, uh, there's an outfit that opened um, in the Fulton Transit Center uh, down in the Financial District. Uh, it's off of like a one of the back entrances, and it's underground. It's like inside the concourse. It's not inside the like the pay gate, but it's just before you get to the get to the gate. Um, it's called Voyager Espresso, and it's this really cool little like multi-roaster, super detail-oriented, really interesting menu composition, uh, fun cafe in the most out-of-the-way imaginable place. Um, And it's really, it's been a lot of fun to go in there and just like, you know, watch them get really into their specific idea of coffee service um, and their specific idea of what they want their coffee to taste like. And it's like nothing else in New York and everything that I've had from there has been delicious. So, uh, but you do see one of those shops pops up every, every you know, six months maybe. Um, you know, somebody opening a shop that's like, oh, you opened a shop where? And your idea of a menu is what? Oh, that's really cool. Like, I'm really interested to stop in there and see what's happening. So do those places become destinations for people like you? Or is it just so overwhelming and everything's so far away that you don't jump on the subway and just go crush it all the way across town, you know? Little column A, little column B. Uh, I try to go to other people's coffee shops and interesting coffee shops whenever I can. And if that means going a little out of my way, if that means going to a neighborhood that I wouldn't ordinarily be in, then fine. Like, that's great. You know, the more of the city I have the opportunity to see on my day off, the better pleased I am. Uh, But definitely as far as the city is concerned in general, the density of coffee shops and the density of the city is so high and everyone who 
does anything in the city is so insanely busy that it really does end up being like, what's the closest good coffee shop to where I'm standing right now? What's the least out of my way that I can walk to get to this coffee shop before I have to be at this meeting in 10 minutes? Um, and so that's definitely, uh, it, that's been very interesting, especially for us running, you know, running a cafe. It's been very interesting to sort of navigate that and try and figure out, you know, who our guests are in a given neighborhood and how to best uh, serve that set of needs. Yeah, it's such an interesting vibe. I spent a few weeks in New York the other year, and I hadn't been there since I was a really, really little kid. And I can't, I don't even understand how people live there. Like, I don't know how you do it <laughs> because there's so much possibility there's so there's so many ways that the day can go or maybe this was just me because i was we were doing a little bit of work but i had a lot of free time so like i can jump on this train and be here i can jump on this train and be like in a totally different it's like different little worlds you know and we're from california santa cruz is a small place and most of our city experience is kind of based off of san francisco which is you know, a really insanely small city for a big city. You can sure. you can get across San Francisco so easily. You can hit all the neighborhoods in a day if you want. Yeah, yeah New yeah, York yeah. is just so intense. And I came home and I was just fiending for that same. I don't know. I got some crazy rush out of it. I yeah, like, I it, need to uh, get on the subway. It gets you. It gets you definitely. Um, you learn pretty quickly not to try and do everything. I think everybody when they're first here is like, oh, I have to do this, I have to do this. It's like, go to all 16 of these museums and there's like 20 coffee shops that I have to hit up and like 1 million restaurants, all of which are must visits. I've been hearing about them forever and I have to go eat this and this and this and do all these other five you know, different things. And there definitely comes a point at which you're like, okay, I live here. I'm going to continue living here. There will be time. You know, these people will be here. These institutions will be here. I'll get around to it. And some of it you don't end up getting around to, but there's definitely a point at which you're like, okay, I am going to slow down a little bit. I'm going to maybe do one of these things a week, maybe do one of these things a week, and that's going to be fine. They'll <laughs> be there. Um, there is definitely uh, a phenomenon that I call uh, New York City dinner paralysis, where you walk out of the door of the shop and you're hungry and you want to eat a thing and there's a list of 15 places that you want to eat, all of which you're like, oh man, I really want to eat here and you can't possibly decide which one you want to go to. So you're just sort of like standing in front of the shop going, oh God, where am I going to have dinner? Um... <laughs> That's the worst feeling ever when you've had too much coffee. Uh, yeah, it's very intense. And then the too much coffee makes it even harder to decide. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> Like thinking, you're actually thinking about five of these menus at the same time. You're like, oh man, I can have this thing or this thing, or I can go do this other thing. And like talking at that speed too. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To yourself alone. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Everyone's like, wait, what's he, is he all right? Like it keeps turning one direction and then the other. (laughs) They're like, I'm used to this in New York City. (laughs) Yeah. We see this all the time. (laughs) New York City. Uh, Samwise, what is this like? A, we're at like an hour. You, do you have any questions for Chris and I before we, you know, jump? You've been killing it. Oh man, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm mainly, I really, I've been very excited to watch, uh, all the work you guys have been doing and watch the Cat and Cloud thing, uh, evolve. And I'm really, I want very badly to get out there and like hang out and 
maybe slow down a little bit, uh, <laughs> you know, spend some time in the sun and just drink some dope coffee. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess let me think about this for a second. You don't have uh, to ask a question. Uh, I wasn't planting it, but if you have <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. I, I, uh, I guess I'm interested to know, I've been doing the competition thing for, you know, I've been competing for five seasons and involved in competition for six seasons. Um, and I guess I'm really interested to know, like, what was it like back in the day? Like, I, when I got involved in competition, I got involved in a, you know, world that was like post, uh, you know, post James Hoffman, Stephen Morrissey, Gwillem, you know, post the like, the crazy, like all of the like crazy Mike Phillips presentations post all of this, like some really very intense, like sciency kind of stuff happening for everybody. Um, and like Bruce competition now has definitely become very specific. I think, um, there's a sort of structure inside which all of these barista competition routines sit and not to say that they're all the same and not to say that it's boring by any means, but that it, it looks very specific now. And I get the sense that it looked very different in the first, you know, five years of its uh, being a thing. And I'm just really interested to know what that was like from the perspective of people who were actually competing back in the day. Yeah, it, it was Go, Chris, crazy. Yeah. yeah, for me, this is something that I think about a lot. And I used to have really, really intensely crazy conversations with people after the competition because even though it was in you know the internet age nobody recorded this stuff because nobody really cared so you couldn't see a bunch of people's performances you couldn't go watch this guy and watch that girl and then formulate right. your own thing so you showed up at usb usbc or regionals and it was like watching TV. You know, there was no watching, walking away. You're like, I got to see what this person's going to do. Cause this is the only chance I'll be able to ever see this. It's right. And everyone had a really distinct style and everyone kind of developed their own methods for what they thought would provide like the best experience. And that just generated so much conversation. Cause you had all these really diverse stylistic attacks on the competition. And I really love that. Yeah, you, there was a big regional difference, like East Coast, West Coast. Like, you know, it couldn't be more different. And you talk to the people in the Midwest, and they've got their own philosophies, and it was just weird. It was like soup, and you're just putting ingredients into soup, and everyone was talking about it. But yeah, there wasn't that uh, structure. I guess is the best word. I almost, sure. I almost said like, I didn't want to say like cookie cutter or whatever. But as right. just like you said, there there is a method to this that's you know has proven results for people. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there wasn't so much of that. And also back in the day, there was a really big discrepancy from the people who were doing the best and the people who were at the at the bottom of the pile. Right. That's like a that sounds negative. That's not what I meant. <laughs> oh, the, the bottom people who were bad were really bad. <laughs> but, but there were a lot of a lot of things that people took for granted and the people who were doing really, really well, I think in, you know, in 2004 and 2005, they actually did have more, they had a better base fundamental knowledge of like how to prepare espresso. 
Right. Things that are just a given, you know, like, oh my gosh, that person's cleaning and working at the same time. I don't even understand how you could extract espresso and then wipe up the drip tray. Right. Like, it, how do you do those, both of those things together? Right. Meanwhile, most people are working with a fucking pile of grounds behind their bar. There's water spots everywhere. And right, those, those the, things were mind blowing then. Totally. Well, because the general understanding of what the best practices were was so different. Um, that's always fascinating to me is just thinking about like the extent to which all of the things that we take for granted as being like, yes, of course you do this and you do this and you don't do that are the product of the last, what, 10 years. Yeah. I mean, it's stuff like, that old. Do you so remember? Fresh. I don't know if any of you guys remember, but there was a barista guild of America ad that ran in barista magazine and probably some other media, but it was a picture of a grinder, like a, um, I don't know, maybe it was just like a rover, but a standard mm-hmm. rover with the flappy paddle. And yeah. It was the grinder with a huge, just crazy pile of ground coffee, like a big old mess around it. And that was the BGA ad. And that got people talking. They're like, what is this ad? This is just like promoting right. just the worst practices, waste and mess and everything. And then there's this whole other group of people that are like, but this is what's this is what's happening. This is what working in a coffee bar is. There's mess everywhere. It's just, it just comes with the territory. Well, I definitely remember, uh, before I was really in especially coffee at all, I was working at some really very bad coffee shops in Seattle for years and years. Um, but, uh, I thought that that was the thing. Um, and, uh, when I got my first specialty job in uh, 2007, right, that was, thankfully like already becoming generally not an acceptable thing. But like, I remember just thinking like, Oh yeah, no, you, you work in a coffee shop and there's like, yeah, there's a giant pile of grounds under the grinder and like there's ground coffee everywhere. And like everyone's got barista thumb and they've got their like, you know, they've got, you know, you know, coffee grounds ground into their calluses. And like, it's a mark of pride that you have like the stripe of, you know, spent grounds across the crotch of your jeans, you know? Um, <laughs> so and crazy. Like, and like, so yeah, I definitely remember that being very much a thing. And like, if I had seen that ad at that time, I'd probably been like, yeah, no, totally. That's what coffee shops look like, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah competition yeah. for me was like, it felt like kind of the frontier. I mean, the first competition we went to versus three to five years later, it it changed so much. When When we first came in, there was a few people acting like there was a ton to learn and a lot of people kind of acting like they were know-it-alls and throughout the years there was so much collaboration after each competition and there was always like one or two like really groundbreaking things if not more and everybody would get together afterwards and talk about all the things they're doing and share all this information where it wasn't you know you weren't able to find it on the internet and you could Mm -hmm. you could literally and you grow a lot now but with the structure being so as it is everybody can say you know, this is the score sheet and I do these things and I score these points. And the things in my mind that are that are up for grabs as far as knowledge and understanding, aside from, you know, the understanding of what happens during extraction and how do I pull those flavors in and out of the coffee are like what is identifying as a new barista, what those tastes are and what that actually means on a score sheet. Those are the things that are still up for grabs and you have to learn. But there's so much back in the day that you weren't able to understand or know unless you went to competition and you could only walk away from that you could only go to competition and walk away with new knowledge or else you were you were kind of shooting in the dark 
So you right. could, it was crazy to me how that would happen every single year. And I also love how it changed into a service competition, even though it was always called the service competition. It was more about, you know, and it was, it's still about points, but service is, is becoming more and more the focal point of the competition, right. which I appreciate. Right. Well, I definitely think, I mean, I, you know, stand there watching people, you know, dial in in their practice time and I'm, you know, walking around backstage and it was, I was very impressed this year in particular by just how high the general level of polish and professionalism was across the board, like walking around backstage and just going, oh my God, like there are a lot of these people who are doing this for their first time ever and like I wasn't even... 10% that organized and on top of my business when I was doing this for the first time. Like, this mm -hmm. is incredible. This is amazing to watch. Um, so yeah, the, definitely the level of fundamentals right now in competition is super high. Um, and it's really, it's, that's been really cool to see. That's been really cool to, to watch that develop. Yeah. The other thing that I never thought about when I was doing it a long time ago is just, how much the awareness of where our product comes from has increased over the past 10 years. So oh, I, yeah. I always think about this video that was before my time, but it was one of the only videos I could find. And I don't know if it's still out there, but there's a video of a Paul Bassett, who was the world barista champion in 2003. Mm -hmm. And he's doing his performance and he doesn't have a performance. It was back in the day that MC would basically interview you while you were making your espresso. That scares which, me which is so insane. badly. Oh my god! Because <laughs> they used to they used to ask you like the first competition I did and Jared too. They were like, "Do you have a performance, or would you like us to interview you?" Oh and at god. first, I the first one I did, I was like, "I performance? What? No, no, please talk to me, ask me questions." And, Same know, here. Inevitably, they ask you questions at the worst possible time, and you're just blah, 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 blah. but one of the questions that this MC asked the man who was then the world barista champion was. He said, tell us a little bit about your espresso. And Paul's response was, yeah, you know, I really like an espresso that's overall sweet. So that's what I was going for with my espresso. Done. <laughs> like, oh my God. and you know, not to knock on him, but that was just that, that was just the time. That was what was happening during sure. that era. There was, you know, no acknowledgement that, you know, coffee comes from this, like these beautiful exotic faraway lands or that someone picked this or, you know, varietal nothing farm nothing none of that stuff so that's just insane when i think about that we have this ultimate traceability and we can work with stuff that you know we know so much about and that's really that's a gift that we have that didn't always exist yeah yeah for sure that's that's amazing i hadn't even thought about that but yeah that's that's really incredible um and yeah we definitely i mean we definitely take that for granted now you know you take for granted that like yes of course like i have this high degree of traceability yes of course i know you know the names of the people who were involved in making this coffee happen um if i'm competing with the coffee uh yeah that's that's huge <laughs> i mean it's on all degrees too it's on I mean, we have recipes now. When, when we first started, there was no such thing as an espresso recipe at all. Right. I mean, with the exception of maybe like one or two people, but it took, it took a bit and it wasn't common. And even the roasting, like, I mean, people roasted, but I would be willing to bet at the most part, it was like, yeah, I think this is going to be good <laughs> at that yeah. point. You know, that it smells right. Yeah. There was no cropster. There was no any of that. It was exactly as I, I smelled it every time, every, every, every progression throughout the roast. And I, uh, yeah, it, it's just if the second crack was right in the tray. 
Right. You're like done. <laughs> Nailed it. Second yeah. crack. And that shit like, was caramelized. That's not even far off. I would not uh, like half of the people probably had second crack coffee there at yeah, the sure. beginning. So I mean, it's I, I believe that it's life has changed a lot. Well, that's and how in a relatively short. Espresso. That is how you roast espresso. That's how you do it, right? Of no course. Other way. Because you can't you can't have an espresso that isn't roasted at least a full city. Come on. Yeah, full I mean <laughs> that's that's cinnamon crap. It's got to go. <laughs> it's got to go. It's just underdeveloped, man. Yeah. Cinnamon. Cinnamon. It's gonna be sour. I feel like that's your favorite word, Jared. Cinnamon. Hi. Cinnamon? Cinnamon. Yeah. <laughs> like if you have a third daughter, you're probably gonna name her Cinnamon. Oh man, I would set her up for failure for sure. <laughs> Cinnamon Truby coming at you. Oh yeah, my I, gosh. You know, that that sounds that sounds like uh that sounds like a recipe for pop stardom, actually. I uh, we I would think stripper first, but you said hey, pop star. Either way, you got a money maker on your hands, JT. <laughs> Stripper's name cinnamon, more Cash chips than Pinium. <laughs> oh, that real, was a Kanye West. Real quote. quick with the Kanye. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Hey, is well, Life of Pablo ever coming out, you guys, or what? Anyway, <laughs> well, we're we're pushing an hour fifteen, so we're gonna we're gonna cut you loose soon. But before you go, I just want to say thank you so much. This has been. So awesome. Always good to hear from you. You're so well-spoken. I just love listening to people Me too. who can speak the way you speak about our industry and about the products you serve. So I appreciate that. And it's where... Real picture and right back at you. Oh, thank you. Where can people find you if they want to know more about you or every man? Uh, I mean, the easiest thing is if you're in New York coming to the shop, chances are I'll be there. Uh, chances are I'll be in the uh, in Soho store. Uh, if uh, if you want to get at me on the internets, uh, I'm hit or miss on Facebook. I mean, I'm I'm around, but not always around. But uh, uh, I can always be gotten at on Twitter at Coffee and Bikes, uh, uh, and on Instagram at Coffee Plus Bikes because somebody else had Coffee and Bikes before and I couldn't get it from them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, it's interesting. I actually know the guy. He's a, he's a uh, bike messenger in New York, and he's a nice guy, so I can't really, I can't really begrudge it to him. Uh, it's, my, it's my own fault for waiting so damn long to get an Instagram account. I take back my dick call out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, this is Chris Baca and Jared Truby. We've been talking with Sam Lawton from Everyman Espresso, and thank you so much for tuning into the Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast. And Sam, we will see you in Atlanta, my friend. All right, see you in Atlanta, guys. Take it easy, Sam. Good luck. Take it easy. Peace.